to speak to you for just a few moments about absolute victory uh, today. And so turn with me in your Bible to the book of Joshua, chapter number 10. Joshua, chapter number 10. welcome, y'all. You need to change that. (laughs) Joshua chapter number 10 in the word of God says, now it came to pass. uh, You know what? I'm not even going to try to pronounce all of these names. Just for everybody's sake and my own. Um, You know what? I am going to, but it's not any good. Adonai, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it. And as he had done to Jericho and her kings, so he had done to Ai and her kings, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. That they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city as one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty. Therefore, Adonazedek, king of Jerusalem sent unto Hoam king of Hebron and Piram king of Jermuth and unto um, Jephi a king of Lakish and unto Zeber king of Eglon saying now see you're welcome uh, come come unto me and help me that we may smite Gibeon for it hath made peace with Joshua and the children of Israel Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, um, and, and on down the line, they encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua, uh, sent unto Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, saying, "Slack not thy hand from thy service. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us." So Joshua ascending from Gilgal, he and all the mighty men of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. Verse number 8 says this profound statement, The Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. There shall not a man with them stand, uh, not a man of them stand before thee. And the scripture goes on down uh, to say that Joshua begin to win a battle against them. And verse number 11 says that great hailstones begin to fall and so much to the point that the hailstones were killing more men than the swords of all the Israelites were killing. And then in verse number 12, uh, which I, I want to read, it says, Then Joshua, then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still. Upon Gibeon, and and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is it not written in the book of, of Joshua? So the sun stood still in the midst of the heaven, and hasted not to go down about the whole day. And there was no day like that before or after it, that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's forever settled. God, I thank you for victory today. Absolutely.
partial victory, not a victory for just right now, but absolute victory in the house. God, I pray that you would anoint my lips, that I would speak what you would say and nothing more. That you would anoint the ear of the hearer, God, to be able to hear, find a pathway into their heart. God, that your heart may be, uh, that their heart may be settled with the word and that it would be hidden there that they might not sin against you. God, let this word breathe life. Let it birth something new in them today. We give you honor and glory and praise in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. We are looking today at at not only one of the greatest victories throughout the Bible, but we're looking at one of the greatest victories throughout all of the world, throughout all of time. This victory was a, let me just break it down because, you know, there was a lot of King James language there that I was reading, but essentially the that Joshua had come into this land that was the promised land where where God told Moses to go, but Moses didn't go. Joshua carried the people on and carried the plan of Moses and carried the plan of God on. And then, you know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And and then we, you know, the story where he went to Ai and, and they destroyed Ai, but then there was sin in Achan's camp. You know what I'm talking about? And and so we see Joshua, this great man of valor, this great man, he's saying, being strong and courageous. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is Joshua who we're talking about. And and he had won many, many great battles. But I want to say to you today that this was one of the greatest battles of all of Joshua's uh, of, of all of Joshua's life and all of his uh, life as a captain of the of the Lord's army. I'm telling you that this was a major victory. And why was it a major victory? Because I believe that this is one case in the scripture where the Lord just one of several, but where the Lord gave an absolute victory. I want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning about absolute victory. How many of y'all would like victory in your life over the enemy? Let me let me ask it to you like this. How many of you all fight with the enemy on a weekly basis? If you all not fighting, then you probably did. So we need to have special prayer for the ones who are not fighting because you done rolled over. If you are, if you are, listen, if you are part of the Lord's army, I like the old song, I'm in the Lord's army, amen. If you're in that Lord's army, I'm telling you that you are fighting a battle and you may, you may be oblivious to it. You can try and hide under a rock somewhere, but the enemy will find a way to push against that rock and bite you where you're at. And I don't know about you, but when I get victory, I don't want just a little bit of victory. I don't want victory for today. Sometimes our prayers get minimized and we just need, I just need to make it through this struggle right here, God. I, I need you to help me with right now. I got, I need, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up right now. And God, I, I need you to just fix it right now. Well, those are great prayers and all, but I don't need God to just fix it for a minute. I'm ready to have absolute victory. Is anybody ready to have absolute victory in your life? Amen. I want to have absolute victory. And this is an event uh, that the scripture shows that God gave the children of Israel absolute victory. Victory, And so I'm going to jump into it just for the sake of time today. There are several pieces that I want to point out about gaining this absolute victory in God. The first of which is that Joshua was just going out and minding the Lord's business. I I almost said minding his own business. But, you know, Joshua wasn't about his business. I think Joshua was a type and shadow of Christ who was to come, and he wasn't about his own business. You know, the world will teach you to do what thou wilt, to do what you want to, to do what pleases you. You need your time. You need what you you know, you know need. And I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but you've heard me say that before. But Jesus never taught us that. He taught us to do what the Father says to do. He, he taught it to us in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. 
And so Jesus taught us something. And Joshua was a man just like he was a type, even a shadow, a foreshadowing of the Christ that was to come. In that he didn't do his own will, but he was out there minding the will of the Father. And so, you know, I just want to stop right there and say that Joshua was out doing the business of the kingdom. And oftentimes you will find yourself, if you're not watching it, you will find yourself doing the business of the kingdom. And then a battle winds up finding its way to you. Have you ever, has anybody ever found yourself in the middle of a battle that you didn't even realize? You got blindsided. I didn't even see this thing coming. I mean, I just got, I, I just got blindsided. They came in from the left and the right and behind me and they flanked me. And my goodness, I mean, I just, I didn't expect to be here. This is where Joshua is. He's, you know, he is taking on. He's purposely doing God's will. He's purposely out there. You know, you've heard me say this, the, the, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, this is Peter, the rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, is what the scripture says. But, you know, I've said this before, I've never seen a gate attack me. You know, but, but but, but Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Well, what's that mean? It means that the church has to be an offensive church. The only way a a gate is going to have any effect on you is if you are storming that gate, if you are charging that gate. And so Joshua was out, and he was charging the gates. He had charged at Jericho in in God's way. He had marched around it, and the walls came down, and and he had charged at Ai, and he had been winning battle after battle, but he he had tunnel vision. He was doing what God was calling him to do, and here he was blindsided by, by the enemy in a device and an attack that he wasn't looking for. How did he go about getting it? Here, here, before, I, before I go to that, I need to, to say this. When you are doing the will of God, I need you to understand this. And everybody has to understand. If you're taking notes, write this down today. You already have enemies plotting against you. Right now. Everybody in the room, you've already got your, your adversary, the, your enemy, the devil, is plotting against you. And the truth is he's using people to do it. You have enemies. I mean, you know, I, I, you guys have heard me say this. It's been a while, but, you know, I lived, I used to live under the facade that everybody liked me. And I kind of still try to do that because it just, it works out better for me. Um, I did, you know, if, if you don't like me, just keep it to yourself because I'm under the impression that everybody does. And it works just fine. The truth is that we've got enemies. Because the, the devil is your enemy, and, and trust me, there are folks that are being used by the devil. And sometimes it's church folks. Because right after he, Jesus said to Peter, this is Peter the rock, and this, on this rock I'll build my church. Literally the next scripture down, Peter he says, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm getting ready to die. And Peter says, oh no, master, far be it from you to go to the cross. You don't have to do that. And then he turns around to Peter, who he just made a declaration to, and he says, Satan, get thee behind me. He's literally, he had to talk, talk to his, his, you know, his great disciple and call him the devil. So I've come to tell you that the devil is plotting against you. You have enemies right now that are plotting against you. I, I'm not saying that to be scared. I'm saying that for you to be aware that don't live in oblivion like I like to live in. That everybody loves you because the reality is the enemy is using people against you. He is doing it. And, and listen, they only do it because they see the victory and the anointing in your life. You see, what had happened was the kings got together because jo- Joshua was winning all of these battles. And then, the, you, know what, you know what the enemy does is he doesn't go about it directly. 
but he gets he gets a little bit scared of your anointing and he gets scared of what you have inside of you and scared of what God's doing in your life. And so then he starts to to get folks against you. And and listen, I need you to do this today. Quit worrying about what's going wrong and recognize what God is doing incredibly right in you. When when uh, when adversity comes your way and when you recognize that people are are getting ready to attack you, there are folks that are against you. Don't say, oh, man, I wish they loved me. I wish everybody loved me. I can't believe that they don't like me. I, I don't know what I've done. I, I just don't understand. Quit worrying about what you are doing wrong and start recognizing the fact that people don't like you. And the fact that some people are against you is simply due to the fact that there's an anointing on your life that frustrates the devil. And you can do everything right in the kingdom and economy of God and have people still dislike you. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but some of you, you're worried about someone being offended at you. And I'm telling you, the cross is an offensive cross and Jesus is an offensive Jesus. And you don't need to worry about who is against you as long as you are right with the Lord. Okay? And so what happens is the enemy begins to gather crowds. You see, in verse number two, and here's here's why they gather crowds. Look at verse number two. It says it so profoundly, and I love this because you know when I, we're reading this, and it's about it's about the kings that gathered together. It was the king of Jerusalem, which was God's city in the first place. He claimed it; it's his. You know, it, it's where he wanted to set up his holy place. And so the king that was inhabiting Jerusalem at that time, he said, "We've got to get, we've got to start gathering crowds together because this Joshua is out of control." Because he's doing things for God. And so we've got to, and you know what he does? This is what the enemy does. He not only does he begin to gather a crowd, but he does it because he is fearful. It says in verse number two, that they that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city. And Gibeon had made peace with the children of Israel. Because they didn't want to fight the battles against Israel. They knew that God had anointed Israel. They knew that God had anointed Joshua. And so the enemy began to gather a crowd. And, you know, see, the devil has a misunderstanding. And I remember, as I was writing my notes, I, I hyphenated miss and understanding. Because the devil has a, an understanding, but he's a miss. Okay? And this is the understanding that he has. The devil understands that there are there is power in numbers. Okay? And that's an understanding that we have as well. But he understands that there's power in numbers. So he will gather a multitude of people against you. Have you ever been in a situation where it felt like, man, things were going great. You were, you know, on the sunshine road. And then all of a sudden, one person came against you. But it wasn't just one. All of a sudden, you looked around and everybody hated you. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I had that happen once, and then I just pretended they loved me. You know what I mean? But you're you're going down the path. It, it, it seems like when one when it rains, it pours. Everybody hates you. Everybody, and you know um, we see this because the devil knows that there is power in numbers. That's his that's his understanding. He understands that. Um, he doesn't like. You know, it, it's like he knows that you can say, I can deal with it if someone's mad at me. I can even deal with it. I've got a person over here mad at me and a person over here mad at me. But don't get a crowd mad at me because then I start wondering what's wrong with my character. What's wrong with me? What, what am I doing wrong in life? Why is it that everybody is coming against me? But you remember I said that it's a misunderstanding. And here's why it's such a misunderstanding. Because the devil 
and he, and he sometimes gets us to have the same understanding. He gets so many people against us because he knows there's power in numbers. But the thing that he doesn't account for is that there's only powers in numbers when God is not involved. Because you've heard me say it, and I'll continue to say it until I'm in the ground. God in one man is a majority. So if God be for you, then who can be against you? And it doesn't matter if thousands or legions are against you. It doesn't matter if you have host upon host against you. It doesn't matter. It's like the, the when they when the, the the army surrounded the people of God, and Elisha said to his servant, he said uh, he said to God, he said, "Open his eyes that he can see that those that are for us for far out." number those that are against us and his eyes were opened and upon the hills were, were the armies and hosts of the Lord and I'm telling you that there are angels that are fighting your battles today and it doesn't matter if hell and high water and everybody else is coming against you it doesn't matter if you listen it doesn't matter if the whole church comes against you if they excommunicate you from it doesn't matter if they excommunicated me from the from the organization it doesn't matter if the church threw me out on my ear it doesn't matter as long as I am in right communion with God, then I know that he fights my battles and the world can come against me, but I've already won. Absolute victory. Absolute victory. You know, and so and what the devil does is first thing he does is he gathers people together. And then the second thing he does is he begins to attack you indirectly. The indirect attack of the enemy. You see what the the what the, the enemy done in this case was that he went and he gathered the troops together and he said, let's not check, attack Joshua, let's attack Gibeon. Because Gibeon has made peace, he's befriended Joshua. And so let's attack Gibeon. And so when the enemy is plotting and working against you, it's not always going to be in front of your face. This is what catches so many people off guard. They expect the enemy to be fair. They expect that, you know, like, Let's fight mama on mama. He's bringing knives and guns and everything else to the fight, and you come, you know, with a crook. He's not going to attack you right in front. And this, let me explain to you. He attacks you through relationships, and he attacks you from the side. And this is why it's so important for us to bind together as the church and bear one another's burdens. Why? Because if I will pray for you, Sister Marley, like your need is my need, then the devil, if your need becomes my need, then the devil is never able to attack me indirectly through you. Brother Brian, if I'm praying for your needs like they're my needs, then if the devil is attacking you, he's attacking me right in front of me. He's not going to attack you and somehow get to me from the side. This is why it's so important for us as the church to come together as a community and love each other like a family and take upon one another's burdens the way that we ought to bind together in unity and love. And the scripture says how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the, oil, the precious ointment that flowed down the beard of the priest, even Aaron's beard, onto his priestly garment. It, there's a precious anointing in, a, in the unity of the, of the children of God. Why? Because there's safety in our numbers. Because if we will bear one another's burdens, then we can't be indirectly attacked by the enemy. Ladies in the home, you need to bear one another's burdens. That way, you can't be indirectly attacked. How many, and, and I know this to be a fact, but uh, how many of y'all can say, you know, uh, I was doing good until somebody that was my best friend, they relapsed, and then the next thing you know, I relapsed because, you know, because the connection there. The enemy won't come at you head on. He wants to come at you indirectly through your, you know, through a friend. But if you'll take that friend and you'll bear that burden together, the enemy can't just attack them and then get to you. He'll have to attack the both of you. And together, the Bible says that that the, 
what is it, two, two three, are bound together like a, a like, oh, golly, here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for my help, Holy Ghost. Listen, and one can put a 1,000 to flight, and two can put 10,000 to flight, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Thank you for the scripture, God. And I'm telling you today that if you will bind together, a threefold cord is not easily broken. That means that the enemy cannot fight you indirectly. Amen? I need you to look at it like this. When the enemy is attacking your family, he's really attacking you because he wants to get to you. When you've got that son or that daughter or that cousin or that aunt or that uncle or that, that nephew, that father, that uh, that mother, that is, you, they're attacked by the enemy. He's doing that because he's trying to get at you. You think that it's one-dimensional. The attack of the enemy is never one-dimensional. He loves that he's able to steal, kill, and destroy from, from children or from, from moms or from dads. But really, he's trying to get at you. And I need you to see it like this. When the enemy attacks you, he's really trying to get at the church. And when the, when the enemy attacks the church, he's really trying to damage the kingdom of God. He's always indirectly attacking, indirectly attacking. And, and I just want to say it like this. Let's fix this problem all together and quit being defensive about everything and just go ahead and be the church that's on the offensive. And then we don't have to worry about where the attack's coming from, but we can go ahead and storm the gates of hell together. Amen? There's nothing that will stop an attack like an ambush. Amen. Let's just ambush the devil together and bind together. What? It's, it's so important that we bind together and pray for one another. Each day we should wake up and intercede for the church and the members of the church. Call out names if you're able. Remember as many names as you can and begin to pray for them. God, bless them today. Cancel every assignment of the enemy over their life today. Bind together with them. Bind together with these ladies. Bind together with the Weavers. Bind together with Larry Miller and Naomi Miller. Just begin to call out their names and bind together and before you know it you'll you'll be a mighty army raising up prayerfully and you'll begin to attack the gates of heaven you won't be able to be indirectly onslaughted by the enemy you go on down the scripture and it says that um, the, the next thing to point out is that Joshua stood for something when the enemy came after Gibeon Gibeon reached out to Joshua and he said hey man we made peace we, we, you've been fighting everybody. I made peace with you. Now I need you to defend me. You know, in today's society, this is, this is just obscure because we have tendency and the world has tendency to make peace. But when it comes time to honor the agreement that we have, maybe the protection that we have, we're like too busy about our own business to go ahead and step in. Again, bearing one another's burdens. If you have a, a peer, if you have a friendship, a peace treaty with someone, then when they call upon you, then you need to honor what they did. And Joshua was honoring what he, what the vow that he made with Gibeon. He was honoring that. And so I, I just want to point that out. You've got to stand for something today. When, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And when you make an agreement today, stand on it. And when you say, I'm going to agree to pray with you, then pray with them. And, and when you say, I'm going to pray on that need or we send out a prayer team, I'm praying, then be praying and stand together and, and stand for something. I would, I'm telling you that the church would be in a much better place if, Christian, if Christians would stand for something. The reason that we are an oppressed church in this day and age that we live in, the reason that there's oppression against the church is because we haven't stood. Having done all the stand, we haven't stood. 
We need to stand for something. And we need to stand and fight. Why? Because the next point is this, that because God is with you. God said something, and this is, my, this is one of the points that she was dancing on this morning. He said in verse number 8, And the Lord said unto you, Joshua, fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. He said something that was profound there. I'm telling you, this is, this is what we know about this. Why do we need to stand firm? Because God is with you. And verse number 8 says, fear them not, I deliver them into your hand. And God said something that was so profound there. He said, I have delivered them. Do you see the, do you see the text there? Do you see the tense of the text? He said, I have delivered them. This is what you were preaching a while ago. Before you ever even go into the battle, God has already delivered your enemy into your hand. He didn't tell Joshua, if you will go fight, then I will make sure that they become delivered into your hand. He didn't say something in the future tense. He said, go ahead and go fight. Go stand for something. Go stand up for something. Get on your knees and pray because I've already delivered. The enemy is already defeated. The enemy has already been beat. You don't even, all you got to do is show up. All you got to do is show up. All you got to do is show up. God fights the battle. He said that today. He said, that's not your battle. All you got to do is show up and watch me show off. I'm telling you, God has already delivered the enemy. You don't. All you got to do is be there. And then Joshua said, you know what? If God's already won this thing, then I'm going to do it in a quick and in a hurry. And so the Bible says in verse number 9 that it came on him suddenly. He hustled. Why? Because God, if God said there's a blessing for you over the hill when I've delivered the enemy into your hand, you'd be running to get there. He hustled. But this is what the, this is what the scripture is really known for. That Joshua looked up and he said the enemy was being defeated. Now God was, had done what he said he was going to do. And the enemy was being defeated. And the Bible says that hailstones began to fall out of the sky. Because God said, I've delivered them into your hand. And you know what? When God says he's delivered something into your hand, when God promises you something, even if he has to throw chunks of ice out of the sky or stones out of the sky, he was. He said, I'm going to destroy all of them. I'm going to kill, uh, you know, there's not going to be any one of them left. And so stones begin to fall out of the sky. But Joshua seen that many of them were fleeing. And something happens when we get when we get the word of God. We said this last week, when, when if you'll just say the word, God, then that's enough for me. When we get the word of God and alive in our heart, then we start charging after the enemy and doing what we're called to do. Then all of a sudden the enemy gets on his heels a little bit, and he's trying to back away, and he's trying to run away. But listen, God was trying to throw stones down, but Joshua said, wait a minute, I'm not going to take just a little bit of victory. I'm not going to take the great, I'm not going to take the victory of the day. I'm not going to just take, call this one good because we, we come out winning. Because he said, if I let that thing go, if I let them get away, they could form another army and they could fight against me again. But God said that he had delivered them into my hands. And so there's an obstacle in my way right now. I'm running out of daylight. And I know that God said that they were completely delivered into my hands. Your victory is 100% yours. Don't settle for 80% of victory when there's 100% victory that needs to come your way. And so Joshua, he did something profound. He looked up in the side of Israel and it says that he spoke to the sun. He said, son, you stand still. I need you to stay right where you're at because you're trying to go down and you're trying to stop this absolute victory from happening in my life. But God said that they're delivered into my hands. And so I need absolute victory. So, son, you stand still. 
And you know, this, this scripture gets so much uh, publicity and it's so popular because God made the sun stand still that day. But I want to submit to you today that that's not even the great miracle. The great miracle is that God was fighting their battle for them. We tend to overlook that because we know that God fights our battles. The, the, the sun standing still was just a little sideshow because God was winning the battle for them. So often, favor and victory and blessing are cut short by a fleeing devil. And the sun standing still is a great miracle. But what God was really doing on that day was giving absolute victory. And if that means that he has to prolong the day in order to get you what you need to get, then you need to have the faith to say, God, slow it down. Here, let me let me just help everybody and break this down in a better way for you. How many of y'all love seasons of favor? How many of y'all would like long seasons of favor? Okay. We need to begin to pray, God, when you're doing it, do it all the way. And anything that's stopping it from happening all the way, we bind that thing. We, we bind that thing. We pull, we pull it aside. We, we won't settle for the enemy running away just because you're starting to win a victory. He wants you to have absolute victory. Well, you say, Brother Paul, how do you have absolute victory? Simple. Through a man named Jesus. I'm closing tonight. Through Jesus, we have absolute victory. Oh, yeah, that's cliche. I haven't. Let me, let me put it to you more, just more specifically. Literally, through Jesus dying on a cross, we have absolute victory. Let me explain it to you like this. Many of you have heard this, and, and I almost preached it in this way today, but God was leading me in the way that we went. But many of you have heard this, so if you've heard it, just write it down again because if it was worth saying once, it bears repeating. But today we are celebrating, in a couple days anyway, but today as a church we are celebrating Independence Day. The day when, on 1776, we signed the Declaration of Independence. And each, each year we go out have a celebration over this great Independence Day. We celebrate a battle that was won 200 and some odd years ago. We don't go out and refight the battle that was won 200 and something years ago. We just celebrate the victory. We don't, we don't got to go back to England. We don't every year we don't go knock on England's door and say, hey, we're, we're back again. We just want to fight again. We, you know, we're coming back for our yearly fight. We already won. It was absolute victory. It was absolute. It was done. And now we just celebrate it. And that is exactly how you have absolute victory in your life as far as Christ is concerned. The Bible says it like this. I believe it's in, um, you know what, I have it written down. First, First Corinthians, Third Corinthians, I don't know. was off. Colossians 2.15. Colossians 2.15. It says it like this. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. That's what Colossians 2.15 says. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Psalm verse chapter number 41, verse number 1 says, Shout out to God with a voice of triumph. Shout out to God. 
clap your hands, all you people, and shout out to God with a voice of triumph. And then I really particularly love this one in 2 Corinthians 2.14. It says, now thanks be to God who always, how often is always, always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge in us or by us in every place. Amen. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. Well, what am, what am I talking about today? How do you have absolute victory? It's the same way we celebrate the 4th of July every single year. We, go, we come together and we celebrate what we did 250 years ago, nearly 250 years ago. We celebrate the victory. The battle was won. It was final. It was, it was absolute. It was once and for all. And I'm telling you that when Jesus died on the cross, he did something to principality and powers. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12 it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual wickedness in high places. Those are the things that you are battling. Those are the enemies that are coming against you. Those are the ones who are fighting on the right and the left side of you. Those are the ones who are, if anybody's going to get you it's them. But Jesus said it or Paul wrote it like this, that having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. What is, what is, let me explain to you what a triumph is. Triumph is different than victory. Triumph is the celebration over the victory. When you when you win a battle and the victory is absolute, then, then that's the victory. But when you triumph in it, then you are having a celebration about what you did before. And so every 4th of July when we fire off the fireworks, we are triumphant. We are literally and I, I'm glad they don't take any offense to it, but we are literally saying to Britain, we are saying to Europe, we have independence from you. We, we, we are celebrating the fact that every rocket that goes off is the bombs bursting in air. We are, we are celebrating that every firework that is displayed is saying in the face of what was our enemy, we have absolute victory over you. That's what it's saying. And I'm telling you that Jesus did something greater than winning a battle in the Revolutionary War. He did something that was greater than George Washington did. He did something greater than all the founding fathers of our country did. He went into the pits of hell and he stole the keys of death and hell from the enemy. And he he led captivity captive. And he, he spoiled principalities and powers and he made a show of them openly. And he triumphed over them. I've said this before, but many of you have seen the play Julius Caesar. It begins with a Roman triumph, and it's Julius Caesar being proceeded through on a, on, on a chariot, and they're throwing roses at him, and they're throwing, they're lavishing love on him and everything else. And, and, and behind him is all the enemies and all the kings that he defeated. They're being in fetters of iron and chains. They're being drugged behind the chariots, and people are throwing rocks and doing whatever on them because he was having a triumph. He was saying, I am victorious over them. But Jesus did it on the cross. He won a victory that was absolute. And all that we have to do to have absolute victory in our life today is that we need to simply triumph with Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. Not him. You know what? He's already triumphant. He's in that procession. He's the one in the chariot. All he's saying is, thanks be to God that causes me to triumph. That means I need to get in the chariot with God. Amen. If someone would come to the piano this morning. Absolute victory. Absolute victory. How do we get it? We get it by being triumphant. How do we triumph? How do we triumph? We triumph like this. 
this is great. I love it. I, as a matter of fact, if we could play this song, it would be great. Hand pie. Everybody put your hands up. This is how I find him at Bethlehem. This is how I find him at Bethlehem. This is how I find him at Bethlehem. This is how I find him. This is how I win absolute victory. This is how I win. This is, I don't have to have a sword. I don't have to have a spear. I don't have to have that. Now listen, I know you put on the shield of faith. You put, you have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You have the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the foot shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I know, but you don't need any of those things. All you got to do is say, this is how I fight my battles. How do I fight them? I get triumphant with Christ. He said, shout out to God with a voice of triumph. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout out to God with a voice of praise. The praise is your triumph. It's the party. It's all you got to do is celebrate the victory that was already absolute. The victory has already been won. One, when you go to God and you say, God, I need deliverance from this thing, he said, you already have deliverance from that thing. I already paid for it. I've already delivered it into your hands. All you got to do is celebrate the victory. Just begin to celebrate what God's doing. Rest on your feet today. Stand up on your feet and just begin to give God the victory praise that he deserves. I'm telling you that you don't need to fight the battle because God has already given us absolute victory. On this Independence Sunday, I'm telling you, you that God already won. We don't have to win again. You don't have to do anything. All you got to do is show up and begin to praise God. And as you begin to praise, as you begin to dance, as you begin to sing, as your hands go up before the Lord, He begins to fight your battle. He's already fought your battle. You've already won. You're just triumphant with Him. Lift your hands high. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you honor. Hallelujah. We give you glory. We give you honor, Jesus. Hallelujah. Just keep your hands lifted high. Come on, just begin to praise. Just say, this is how I fight my battles. Right now, I'm fighting my battle. I don't know I don't know who you are in this place or what's going on in your life, but you have already won the victory. There is absolute victory in Jesus. All you have to do is lay hold to the victory that is in the name of Jesus. Lay hold to the victory that was in the cross of Calvary. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. I'm telling you that everything that you have need of has already been granted unto you. Just lift your hands and begin to praise. Lift your hands and begin to worship. This is how I fight my battles right here. This is how I do it with my hands held high, with my voice raised unto God. I shout, I clap my hands, oh you people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I lift my hands in the sanctuary. I praise you, God. I praise you. I, this is the honor of the saints. Psalms, uh, listen to this. I want to read this as they get ready on the piano. I want to read this to you. This is my one of my favorite psalms. Next to Psalms 89, I believe this is my very favorite psalm. It says, praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. And in his, and his praise in the congregation of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him in the tremble and the harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. 
man to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishment upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. This is a great one. To execute upon them the judgment that was written. This honor has all the saints. Praise ye the Lord. I'm telling you that God wrote a judgment against the enemy. They, he, he said to the devil, you've already been defeated. The devil knows that he's already defeated. But how do we execute that judgment that God has put on the devil? We do it by lifting our hands and praising him and becoming triumphant in God. Lift your hands all over the sanctuary and just begin to praise your way through your victory right now. This is how I find my battle. 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 